right, well, I want to take just a second and look into the camera and say a big hello to all those that are watching online today. Come on, Heartland family, help me welcome all of them to church. We appreciate you and love you. Those who are watching literally from all over the world, people from Boston and Indiana uh, that we hear about, we love you, we appreciate you, whoever you are and wherever you're watching from. If you know me, you know I like to preach the announcements. Uh, I normally do that before I speak, but I'm not speaking today. So let me just take just a moment and just share a couple of quick things with you. The first is that if you're brand new to our church and want to join us next week for our Welcome to Church party that's taking place uh, at 6 p.m., would love for you to be a part. There's a QR code going on the screen right now. This is a couple of hours that night that we'd love for you to spend with Kendra and I. You can learn about what it means to take your next step with us here at this church. So many people have done that this year, and uh, we would love for you to hang out with us. We have a dinner. We're just going to get to know you, uh, have a lot of fun. Our Welcome to Church parties are a lot of fun. And I promise you, if you don't really know anyone, you'll leave that night knowing some people uh, and having some friends uh, when you come back to church the next week. So there it is right there. Sign up and join us next Sunday night at 6. And then, of course, our group semester is getting ready to start. I'm going to talk next week kind of extensively about our calendar as we're moving forward. But many of you in this room today, God's leading your heart and beginning to talk to you about leading a group this year. In fact, we have uh, another training this coming Sunday. After our 1130 experience today, you can learn more about leading a group. We've been shifting those back and forth, and uh, we want you to get ready. Uh, two kinds of groups here, growth groups and social groups. Would love for you to join us and get in one of those. And I'm excited to tell you about this semester as it's coming up. And then I'll just, I'll just kind of quick sneak this one in, and that is that our men's night, uh, we just landed a date uh, September 14th. Uh, for all the men in the room, uh, can't wait to spend that evening with you at 7 p.m. And uh, that is on a Thursday night this year. So we're doing it on a different night of the week. We uh, know that f uh, Fridays sometimes are a family night for you. And so we want you to lean in to that and be able to do that. And so join us. Uh, and I'll talk more about that next week. Well, we are so honored to have uh, Pastor Jimmy Evans here with us today. Uh, for the last, or for over 30 years, uh, Pastor Jimmy led. Uh, and was the senior pastor of Trinity Fellowship Church in Amarillo, Texas, where he still serves today as an apostolic elder. And today, he is the founder and president of Exo Marriage, uh, a ministry devoted to helping couples thrive in marriage. I'm curious, anybody in the room ever been to an Exo conference before? Come on, let me, let me hear from you. Yell if you've ever been before. He and his wife, Karen, speak at Exo conferences around the nation. They host Marriage Today, a syndicated broadcast television program, as well as a weekly podcast. He's written more than 50 books, uh, not just on marriage, but on end times. And I'll just say to you today that, of course, I think it's one of the staples uh, of, of that he's ever written, but Marriage on the Rock, incredible book. Uh, but you've heard me. I just wanted to mention this one really quick. I'm so thankful that our team got copies of this today. I have preached many times. Pastor Jimmy, I, I should get royalties because I've sold many copies of uh, this vision retreat guidebook for you. I just think this is one of the most practical tools on the planet uh, for you and your spouse. You guys need to get a copy of this guidebook today uh, because it's, it's going to teach you how to do a vision retreat uh, to go for a couple of days to get away. And I think it's just such a useful tool. And then, of course, not only that, but uh, many books 
on the end times that he's written. Some of those here today, the tipping point, uh, which I have talked about in the past and not given him credit for. Uh, but uh, many things uh, that are out in our lobby today, you can check out the books. Uh, and uh, we've got copies of those. And I, I do want to say that our prayers specifically are with this family today. Uh, I know that he's celebrating but also grieving the homegoing of a family member that went to be with the Lord. In the midst of that time, he still is taking time uh, to be here in this difficult moment and to minister. And I'm just so thankful for you, Pastor Jimmy. And uh, Pastor Jimmy, before you come today, just, just on a, a personal note, can I just say to you that you've had such an impact on Kendra and I's uh, leadership in our lives. Before we started pastoring, four years ago, uh, we attended your pastor school. And uh, I, I still have the notes, and I still reference them all the time. Uh, Kendra's, of course, been with you on Joni Table Talk uh, many times. Uh, she's come home telling me, this is what Pastor Jimmy uh, talked about today and shared with me. Your voice on marriage and ministry has impacted our ministry and our marriage in more ways than you could ever know or imagine. And we're just so grateful for you. And it is a massive honor today, everybody. Lean in, take notes. Would you please help me and welcome as he kicks off Seek Week this year. Come on, stand on your feet, Pastor Jimmy Evans. Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to be here with my dear friends, Pastors Dusty and Pastor Kendra. They are wonderful people. Did you know that? I love being with them. My, my assistant told me one day I was talking. She said, well, the Heartland wants you to come back and speak. And I said, tell them yes. And I had told everybody no for weeks. But when I knew I could come over here, I love being here. My dear friend, Pastor Dan, also. It's good to see him. My mom went to be with the Lord a week ago. I cry at the dumbest times. I, I just don't want to waste a good cry by myself. I want to share it with everybody. <laughs> she was not 94 years old, sweet, very strong Christian woman. She fell and broke her hip, and she, she told the doctor in the emergency room, she said, I'm, I'm ready to go. She said, don't, don't do anything to help me. She said, just keep me comfortable until I go. And she was, and I'm, she's with Jesus. Well, I want you to turn to Exodus 33, if you would, and I want to talk. I love Seek Week. I wish I would have thought of it. I didn't, but it's just such a wonderful thing to get together and seek the Lord like that and to pray and worship and, and just seek the Lord. And, and this message is a message that uh, I like because it helps us. The, the, the title of this message is Seeing God as He Really Is. It's hard to seek God when you don't know who you're seeking. Uh, and the, the premise of this message is very simple. Uh, you can only get as close to God as your concept of him will allow. That, that's the whole premise of this message. If you believe that God loves you, that God accepts you, that God forgives you, that he's a wonderful God, it's easy to seek that God. But if you believe that God is angry with you, that he's disappointed, that you don't measure up, that you know he is uh, austere, distant, uncaring, it's hard to seek that God. And so in, when we develop our concept of God, it is primarily developed by our parents and especially our fathers. Now, we go back to Genesis 1, and God did something very important. He put his image on Adam and Eve and then commanded them to multiply it. 
He put his image on them first. Parents are image bearers of God to their children. Without God's image, we can't parent properly because the number one role of a parent is to lead your children into an understanding and acceptance of Jesus Christ. And we judge, we judge God by our parents. What our parents did right, we naturally attribute that to God. What our parents did wrong, we naturally attribute to God, especially our fathers, mothers also. But the reason that fathers are so important is because we call him our father and we have an earthly father. And so there's a direct correlation there. There was a man named Paul Vitz who wrote a book called Faith of the Fatherless. And what he found is all famous atheists hated their fathers. Nietzsche, Freud, you go through all the famous atheists of the past, they all had a deep hatred of their fathers. And the reason they didn't want God to exist is because they didn't want their fathers to exist. There's a direct correlation. And so all parents are imperfect. That's the problem. Even the best parents are imperfect. So to mature spiritually, there has to come a point in time where we disassociate who our parents are from who God is. God is who God is regardless of who our parents are. Okay. And the point of this message today is for us to see God as he really is. Now this stunted with, with Karen and me, our parents were not saved when we were growing up. Now all of our parents got saved after we got married. But when we were growing up, our parents were saved and they came out of terrible backgrounds, um, very painful backgrounds. My father uh, was, he wasn't a good father. He was, he was a good man. Uh, he was a hard worker. He came home every day. He was a good provider. Uh, he never talked to me. I've I, I made this statement before, and I believe this is a true statement. I don't believe my father spoke a thousand words to me the entire time I was growing up. I would be shocked. He just didn't talk. And uh, he, never, he, never, he never engaged me in any way. I was an athlete, played all sports. He never came to a sporting event of mine. I asked him every time I played a game, Daddy, you know, come to my game. He never came to a game. He was just completely disinterested, but he came out of horrible poverty, abject poverty had all kinds of problems in his past that I didn't know about. My aunts told me later about what had happened to him. My father got saved as an adult. I led my father to the Lord. He was a sweet, wonderful man. My father never touched me. Uh, from the time I was three years old to the time I was 38 years old, my father never physically touched me. And when he touched me when he was three, he was angry at me. And so I, I, don't, I just didn't have any relationship or anything there from my father. So when I received god into my life when i received christ into my life you know the bible says god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so i i didn't think that god knew my name i didn't know that god knew me personally i just thought well i'm in the world he loves me but my concept of god was he's very distant he's he's hard to get in touch with he really doesn't know who i am and so why do you, why would i pray to a god who's not listening why would i pray to a god who's not caring so it was real hard for me the concept of prayer the concept of worship, all of that was very hard. It took me about 20 years. I was a pastor, and I was still dealing with my issues with my concept of God. My mother was a precious, precious woman, but she, was, she had issues of her own. Um, and, she, of course, she didn't know the Lord. Karen's mom and dad, uh, Karen's parents were, were wealthy um, people. That, and I would say wealthy. That, now, they became very wealthy later. Uh, they really weren't rich when we were dating. If I'd have known that, I'd have never married her. That's a joke. But Karen grew up in kind of a high society home, and her parents were extremely demanding, cruel, verbally vicious. Uh, you cannot imagine the things that she was subjected to every single day. 
in her. She was never good enough. She was never pretty enough. She was never smart enough. They compared her to everybody else. When I married Karen, she had the lowest self-esteem of any human being I've ever met in my entire life. I was with my brothers for, for their my service on Friday, and they were laughing because they said, when you brought Karen over to meet us, she stood behind you. She did. When I, when I would take Karen to meet my family or anybody, she stood behind me, and I had to pull her out, and then she'd go right back behind me. She was spring-loaded. I had to keep pulling her out. She kept going back. So she had the worst self-esteem, and she did not believe that God could love her. I, I mean... I talked to her, and for the first several years of our marriage, she just, she just didn't believe that God loved her. She read the Bible every day, and she could believe the judgment parts. You know, she could believe Leviticus. She just couldn't believe John. And so we started, our journey with the Lord just started in such a terrible place. Now, our parents got saved, and they changed dramatically. Karen discipled her parents, and I discipled my parents. And so it was a wonderful thing to see them grow in the Lord. But, but they started out, we started out in our journey with the Lord uh, in a very difficult place. And let me say today, I know Jesus. I know God very, very well, intimately. I know him. And I, I love sharing this message because it's my journey. But this was also Moses' journey. I want to talk about Moses, seeing God as he really is. God, in Exodus 33, what we're going to read here in just a minute, Exodus 33 and 34, we're looking at, Israel's journey with God in Moses' journey with God. And God is extremely angry with Israel and frustrated with Moses. And we're going to pick up here in the story. The chapter before is where Moses came down Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and the uh, children of Israel were worshiping a golden calf and committing immorality. I remember Moses threw the tablets down. Him. We're, we're picking up at the end of that story. And God is saying to Israel, I'm going to go ahead and take you to the promised land, but my intimate presence will not be with you because you're stiff-necked and I kill you all at the same time. I mean, God is very frustrated with him. So Moses is going to go from where he is, is not a good place, to seeing God as he really is. Four stages of Moses' revelation of God that we're going to talk about. Stage one is seeing God through the eyes of the past. Moses begins, and he's looking at God through the prism of his past and of his parents. Exodus 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants I will give it, and I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You're a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. So a stiff-necked people, they're having a really hard time with God. And they, from, the, from the day they left Egypt, they accused God. The day they left Egypt, they said, Were there not enough graves in Egypt for you to kill us and bury us there? Did you have to bring us out here to kill us from the day one? They're accusing God. And God became angry. Remember, when God met Moses for the first time in the burning bush, he became angry with Moses because Moses wouldn't go to Egypt. Moses kept arguing with God, and God got angry at him. God got angry. In fact, there's this crazy scripture in the Bible says God sought to kill Moses because he wouldn't circumcise his son. His wife, Zipporah, was not a Jew, and she didn't want to uh, circumcise their son. And uh, Zipporah won, and God showed up and said, you circumcise your son, I'm going to kill you. So they had a very difficult relationship. And the question is, why would Moses struggle so much with God? 
Why did he have such a difficult time in his relationship with God? Well, here's another question. Who is his father? Pharaoh. Pharaoh's daughter, remember, the, by the way, Pharaoh tried to kill him when he was born, and he tried to kill him again when he was 40 years old. When your dad tries to kill you twice, get out. That's a warning sign. You know. <coughs> so Moses, Moses' concept of God came from the most evil man in the world, Pharaoh. He grew up in his home. That was his father figure. There, there was no, the, the children of Israel, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't know God. They were the Jews genetically, but they really didn't have a faith when they were in Egypt. They, they were just a, a nation of Jews there. And so they had no concept of God because all the gods of Egypt were gods of fear. You didn't worship them because you loved them. You worshiped them because you feared them. The sun god, the, the Nile god, whatever god that it was, they were gods of fear, austere. Pharaoh was terrible, evil, you know, kind of a performance-driven kind of a person. So they have no concept. And so uh, they doubted, they lived in God's presence, but they doubted his heart. Moses had done more miracles than any man alive at that time. Dividing the Red Sea, all the miracles of Egypt, the 10 miracles that led him out of Egypt. He did all those miracles, but he doubted God's heart. It doesn't matter how much you've been around Christianity. If you doubt God, it doesn't work. If you don't believe that he loves you, it just doesn't. If your concept of God is anything other than what the Bible says, it just doesn't work. And a lot of rebellion to God and a lot of our resistance to God just simply flows out of the fact that we don't know who he is. It's hard to seek a God you don't know. You can only get as close to God as your concept of him will allow. They're living in his presence. And they're constantly rebelling, constantly accusing, constantly resisting him. And he says, you are so stiff-necked. You are so stiff-necked. If I came up in your midst, I would consume you all at once. Let me take off your ornaments. I'm going to figure out what to do with you. So this, this is the catalyst now for Moses and the change that's happening in his life. He literally is an intercessor between God and the people that saves their lives. Here's stage two. Stage one is he's seeing God through the eyes of the past, his Pharaoh filter. Many of you are seeing God through a Bob filter, a Fred filter, a Charles filter, a Leon filter, or a mother filter, parents. And it also can come from our church background, some spiritual authority in our lives and things like that. But you're seeing God through a filter and my prayer at the end of this message is you won't have that filter anymore. Moses is seeing God through the eyes of the past. Number stage two is he asked God for new eyes. This is Exodus 33, 18. Moses said, please show me your glory. Then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now, so Moses is admitting here, I'm not seeing right. I really haven't seen you the way you are, so show me your glory. By the way, your glory is what you're famous for. Show me, who you, show me what you're famous Show me who you really are. This is what Moses is saying. Let me say this. God's glory is his goodness. Because when Moses says, show me your glory, God says, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. Here's what I want you to know about the God that you seek. He's good. He's the definition of goodness. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, good teacher, he said, watch out. Don't go around calling people good. Now, you happen to be talking to me, and I am good. This is Jesus. But me, people aren't good. We're only good in comparison to other bad people. Right? He is truly good. 
So he is going to define who he is to Moses. Now here's stage three. Stage two is asking for new eyes. Stage three, a divine revelation of the nature of God. And let me tell you the importance of this text. This isn't a person telling us about God. This is God telling us about God. This is when God puts Moses in the cleft of the rock and he passes before him and God declares to Moses his seven attributes that define his goodness. This is Exodus 34, 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So God himself reveals his goodness to Moses and to us, and this, this is the definition of goodness. So what does God look like? This, this is the question. There are seven attributes. We're going to go through each of them. There are seven attributes that God mentions that define who he is, and let's go through them here. First thing he says is merciful. Now, it's kind of important the first thing you say, right? You kind of want to make a good impression. You put your best foot forward. The first thing that God wants you to know about him is he's merciful. I'm merciful. Mercy means undeserved compassion that desires to help. God doesn't just see what we're doing. He knows why we're doing it. He wants to help. He understands the pain of our past, the devil's attacks against us the corruption of the world around us, our sin nature and fallen and weak flesh, our lack of understanding and capacity to change on our own. He understands all that. Mer mercy takes everything into consideration. I had a, a guy in the church in Amarillo that I pastored. He was just a weird guy, just a weird guy. And he, he called himself a prophet. You know, there's two ways to spell prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T. The other way is P-R-O-F-I-T. He was the second. And he would go to people in the church and he would tell them that um, they needed to give me money. And he always had some kind of a business scheme that he was after. And the Lord told me you're supposed to give me $1,000. So one day I asked him to come in my office and he came in my office and he's a big dude. And I said, uh, you know, I want you to know I don't like you. And he just kind of looked at me and I said, I don't like the way you act. I don't like this prophetic stuff that you do, asking people for money, and you're not going to do that anymore at this church. So I'm talking, and he's smiling. It's just weird. And, you know, because I want him to be angry at least, and so he's smiling at me, and I'm, I said, why are you smiling? And he said, I, I know that you know that I have a problem with authority, don't you? I said, yeah, I got that memo a long time ago. He said, Pastor Jimmy, I had 11 stepfathers. I said, you what? He said, Pastor Jimmy, my mother's been married more times than we can count. And while I was growing up, I had 11 stepfathers, and I learned not to trust men. You know, I didn't like him after he said that, but I sure felt a lot of mercy for him. And it changed our relationship. You know, it, cha it changed the way I dealt with him, because what I realized was he's hurting and he's struggling from the point of having 11 stepfathers. It changed. When God looks at you, he doesn't just see what you're doing. He knows why you're doing it. He's merciful. God is a compassionate God who feels deep empathy for us and wants to help us regardless of whether we deserve it or not. This is Hebrews chapter 4. Since then that we have, since then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, 
Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, um, did you know that Jesus was tempted in every single way that you're tempted? Every single way that you're tempted? That Jesus endured rejection, he endured scorn, he would ever fear, everything that you will ever experience, Jesus experienced it without sin. And that makes a difference because Jesus doesn't look at us and say, why are you doing that dumb stuff? He knows exactly why we do the thing. It doesn't mean it's justified. It just means he has mercy for us. And it says here that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. You know what the word boldly there means? Frank speech. It means honesty. Frank speech. No, don't be religious. That when you're praying, you know, the Lord, thou, thou wast hear my prayer today. And would thou please come and help thy servant? Well, that's the way some people pray. Here's the way I pray. Lord, I just come to you today and I just say I'm struggling. And I want to hit that person. <laughs> I really do. They deserve it. You know they deserve it. And I just need your, I talk, he's my dad. I have a conversation with my dad. I talk to the Lord about everything, everything. And the reason is because he loves me and he cares. And I don't have to be religious with him. He invites me to come boldly to the throne of grace. So, so see, it's like your kids, little kids, you know. They jump up in your lap. They're sticky. They smell. They got bad manners. They don't ask for, they just jump up in your lap. They don't ask for permission. And you know something? You love them. Well, why do you love them? Not because they deserve it, because they're yours. You don't have to deserve to jump in his lap. And you don't have to clean yourself up. See, one of the things that Satan says is, you better get your act together before you come back to God. I can't get my act together without God. That's... That's why it's a throne of grace. I need a throne of grace. And if when I come to him, he feels mercy toward me. Merciful. Who are you, God? I'm merciful. It's one of the most important things. Number two, gracious. Again, this is God telling us who he is. Gracious. So gracious means free help on every level that is granted without merit or performance. Uh, there's an acronym for grace. Christ, God's riches at Christ's expense. Here's another way to say it. Mercy paid my debts, but grace made me rich. Mercy is sympathy. Grace is money. Mercy is God's emotional disposition toward us. Grace is what he's willing to do for us because of that. And they're, they're different. It gives us freely everything. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. God is able, the word able there is his dunitas, it means powerful to accomplish. God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always having all sufficiency in all things would have an abundance for every good work. Let me talk about what all grace means. First of all, grace is free. You can't deserve it. You, you, we don't deserve it. And so any person in any state of life can have the grace of God if they ask for it. You, you don't have to deserve it. It's, it's, it's meritless. So here's some of the different kinds of grace of God. Mental grace. God gives us mental grace. John 16, 13, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you into all truth. Did you know that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth? Did you know that the, the day that Karen and I almost divorced after we were married for three years, that that morning I woke up and read John 16, 13, and, I, you know, I was a horrible husband. I was a jerk, but I read my Bible every day. I was a jerk, but I was a sanctified jerk. And... <laughs> 
And I read that morning that the Holy Spirit would lead you into all truth. That night when I told Karen to get out of the house and we had a horrible fight and I was sitting in the living room by myself, I remembered that verse. And I said, Holy Spirit, would you teach me how to be a husband? And that prayer has helped millions of marriages all around the world because he told me how to, he showed me how to be a husband. When you don't understand something, he will, he'll give you the grace to understand. All truth. You know what all truth means? All truth. On any level, Holy Spirit, would you help me? Sometimes it's just a download. He just downloads it and you understand it. But a lot of times it's just a process. You pray that prayer. Say, would you help me understand this and this and this and this and this? And he leads you on a journey to understand exactly what you need to understand. He wants to give you mental grace. We're, we're just, the more I know, the more I know how much I didn't know. You know what I'm saying? There's just so much I don't know. He knows everything. He's, he's omniscient. He knows everything. And he's there 24 hours a day. He loves me. And he will give me the grace of mental knowledge anytime I ask for it. We leave so much on the table because we don't understand how good he is. You know what I'm saying? If we just knew how, how good he was. Well, physical grace. Uh, so I, I turned 70 in a couple of months. I need more physical grace today than I've ever had before. But I'm doing good. Um, Romans 8, 11, if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he'll give life to your mortal body. Okay. Well, let me give you the King Jimmy version of that. If the Holy Spirit can raise Jesus from the dead, do you think your problems are a trick for him? That's the way it's written. If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he'll give life to your mortal body. How many of you need life in your mortal body? All you have to do is ask. It's grace. This is the grace of Jesus. It's physical grace. Lord, I need your physical grace. I need energy. I need you to heal me. Whatever. He will. Emotional grace. This is Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the personality of Jesus Christ. We need that, don't we? That's who you want to be friends with. That's who you want to be married to. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For free, anytime you want it. Emotional grace. He, the Holy Spirit is the oil, the engine of our emotions is designed to run on. And if you try to run your car without oil, it locks down. It won't go anywhere. It overheats very quickly. But if you put oil in it, it's amazing how good the car will run. If your emotions don't have the Holy Spirit, it's amazing how carnal we can be, isn't it? Especially in Dallas traffic. <laughs> if you want to know if you have demonic problems, just get in your car. <laughs> Karen and I have a great marriage, but in, our, in the car, it's just a little, it's things change. <laughs> she hates riding with me, and I hate riding with her. Really and truly, we have to have a lot of grace for that. Spiritual grace. Acts 1.8. You shall receive power. Dunamis. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You know what that means? You can do things under the power of the Holy Spirit you could never do on your own. So stop trying. Stop trying. Let the Holy Spirit be the power in your life that gives you the ability to do supernatural things. Financial grace. This is the context of 2 Corinthians 9. The Apostle Paul is taking an offering for the saints in Jerusalem, and he's saying to the Corinthians, God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that always having all sufficiency for all things, you would have an abundance for every good work. He's saying if you'll obey God, God is able to cause you to be financially prosperous and all these, these things to come back to you. All grace. All the grace you need. God's throne is a throne of grace. And here's what I'm saying. Your daddy's rich. Start asking him for more stuff. Not only is your daddy rich, he adores you. He adores you. 
See, when you're looking through the prism of the past, my, with, with my parents and Karen's parents, it was never good enough. It was never good enough. And as a believer, I just felt like it was never good enough. So this is Ephesians chapter 2. There is a condition to everything I just said. Ephesians 2, but God who is rich in mercy, listen, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The condition is faith. Faith means action. Faith doesn't mean mental assent. The Bible says the demons of hell believe and they tremble. Faith means acting upon it. So I was stuck. I was in probably my early 40s. I was a pastor. And I was dealing with my father issues that I had been in denial about. I just didn't know how to deal with them. And I was dealing with my father issues. And I was dealing with my father issues. And I was dealing with my issues with God. Because I still just had this barrier between God and me. And I was praying one morning. And the Lord said these words to me that changed, that changed my life and changed my relationship with him. The Lord said, treat me like I'm the perfect father and see if you can prove me wrong. Stop relating to me based on your dad. Stop relating to me based on that I don't love you and that you can't trust me and that, that I'm out to get you. Stop that. I want you to treat me like I'm the perfect father and see if you can prove me wrong. Well, I'll tell you what happened. I just started relating to him like he liked me. You know, like, he, like I was his favorite. I just started waking up in the morning and praying like that. Well, let me tell you what I found out. He is the perfect father, and he adores me. And I'm pretty sure I'm his favorite. <laughs> We're all his favorite. Did you know that? He is the perfect father. And for so long in my journey with the Lord, like Seek Week, I would have done it. I would have done it religiously. I would have done it to try to please him so he would like me more. He can't like you more. He can't love you more. We can be more obedient. We can be more in God's will. We can experience more of his presence and more of his blessings. But he can't love us more. All the performance, by grace you're saved, by faith. We have to put faith in the fact that he is a good God. And if we, if we act upon that, not just believe it, if we act upon it, that's the condition, and that's how we know who God really is. Number three, characteristic of God is long-suffering. God is willing to suffer greatly for a very long period of time for us and not get up, give up or get angry. Hebrews 13, 5 says, God himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let me tell you why it says it two different ways. Leave means physically, forsake means emotionally. You can turn your heart away from a person you're sitting right next to. Forsake means, eh, enough of you. God says, I will never ever, this is covenant language, he's talking about you, I will never physically desert you and I will never turn my heart away from you. Here's what it means. On your worst day when everybody else has deserted you, God is still with you and he, his heart is still turned towards you. There'll never be an instant in eternity where God's heart is turned away from you. 
God forsook Jesus on the cross. Daddy was mad. He took it out on Jesus. He's not mad anymore. And he forsook Jesus on the cross, and he'll never forsake us. Jesus got what we deserve, and we get what he deserves. Why is God long-suffering with us? That's the question. Let me answer it. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love suffers long and is kind. He's long-suffering because he loves us. Because he loves us so much, he's willing to put up with all of our stuff. Number four, abounding in goodness. God is always good in every circumstance, and he never has any bad days or bad moods. He's always good. Karen's dad was unpredictable. And one day he would be charming and nice and kind, and the next day he would just be brutal and just butcher with his mouth. And one of the things that Karen believed about God is he's schizophrenic. He'll turn on you. He's this way, then he turns. Can I just tell you, I don't know how you were raised or what your concept of God is, but God is always good. Never has a bad day, never has a bad mood. Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all of his works. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. So um, I'm going to say something to you and you need to listen to what I'm saying. Okay. God will bless you more than you'll bless yourself. God's plan for you is better than your plan for you. And for many years, I just kept thinking, I, I know I love me. I know I'll bless me. I don't know about him. Today, what I know is I am so glad that he's in control of my life because it'll be better than if I was in control. Yes. Number five, abounding in truth. God never lies, deceives, breaks promises, or in any way misrepresents itself in dealing with another person. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. My word will never pass away. You may have had people break promises. Or tell you something that wasn't true. God will never do that. He's abounding in truth. He only speaks the truth. Forgiving. Number six, thank God says. God is always peace-seeking and willing to forgive, even in the worst of circumstances, and afterward to keep no record of wrong. Peter said, Jesus, how many times do I forgive my brother? Seven? That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? You know, if somebody does something to you seven times, that's like Jesus says 70 times seven. 490. The point is, wasn't a number. The point is, you always forgive. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're just human beings that have issues. Number seven, God is just. God has rules, and there are consequences for us and those around us when we break them. But even when we break God's rules, he loves us in his discipline and our lives is motivated by his love. This is Hebrews 12. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you're without chastening, which we've all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us to seem best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness, now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, 
so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. So God, God does one of those. At the end here, it says, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. Well, why does it say that? Well, so, you know, your children, uh, you'll say, that, Billy, Billy, now, did you clean your room? And Billy says, well, I'm going to go out and play with my friends. I'll come back in and clean my room. And he's lying. And uh, Billy, watch, watch me now. Hands that hang down, feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet. Well, why does it say that? Okay, so, Billy, before you go out and play, you get in that room and you clean that room. <laughs> Isn't that what they do? So here's what God is saying. Now, when I'm disciplining you, I can heal it or dislocate it. And it all depends on your attitude. Right? So stop. What are you doing this? He's a loving father. He's doing it for our good. And so what Billy should have said is, Mom and Dad, you know, it's the least I could do to clean my room. You feed me. You take care of me. You're wonderful. Any of your children ever said that? But when we mature as adults, we'll realize his discipline is his love. And he's doing it to keep us from destroying ourselves and everybody around us. So, who, who is God? He's merciful, he's gracious, he's long-suffering, he's abounding in truth, he's abounding in goodness, he's forgiving, and he's just. Let me read that one more time. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness, abounding in truth, forgiving, and just. That's who God really is. That's not a man that told us that. That's God who told us that. The seven attributes of his God, goodness. So I'm going to read you a letter from God. Now I wrote this. God didn't write it. I wrote it. But I wrote it to personalize this and put what happened to Moses in personal terms. Dear child, I realize that you've had a difficult time understanding who I am because of mistakes your parents made as well as the negative influence of the fallen world around you. So I want to tell you firsthand who I really am so you can understand me and relate with me intimately as your father and best friend. First of all, I am very compassionate towards you. I don't just see what you're doing, I know why you're doing it, and that you can't change without my help. I can also see what the devil is doing to attack you as he's trying to defeat you. I see what others have done to you in your past and even now. I wish you'd understand that I don't stand back and judge you. I want to be in your life helping you because I love you so much. I also want you to know that my help is free. You don't have to deserve any of it. My son died on the cross to pay for all of your sins so you can relate to me without merit or performance. My throne is a throne of grace, and all you have to do is believe in my love and ask for my help, and I will give it to you generously in every area. I will never desert you under any circumstances. I will be with you forever and will never reject you. I am good-natured, and I never change. I'm never in a bad mood or have a bad day. I'm the most consistent person you will ever know. You can trust me. I will always be good to you because I am overflowing with goodness that I want to share with you. My plan for your life is good, and that will never change. I will never lie to you, deceive you, trick you, withhold important information from you, or break a promise. I will always relate to you based on the truth. When you fail, I will always be willing to forgive you and totally remove your sin from the record. My grace is greater than all of your sins combined, past, present, and future. My mercy toward you is renewed every day. As your father, I have rules that are there for a purpose for protecting you and causing you to grow as a person, as a believer. If you violate my rules, I will deal with you graciously, even, if, even as I discipline you at times. My correction is motivated by my love for you. 
never interpret my correction as anger or rejection. I love you too much to allow you to damage yourself or others without attempting to help you and get you to a better place. I love you more than you can know in this life. My desire is to reveal my love to you personally every day. Child, believe these words for they're true. Act upon them as you pray to me and believe me for the mercy and grace you need every day and I will reveal myself to you in a new way. Signed, your loving father. Anybody like that? That's who he really is. I believe that letter represents the heart of God and what he was saying to Moses. Stage four, and I'm finished. I've got one minute and 15 seconds left. It won't happen. Lower your expectation. Stage four, Moses is a different man and three things have changed. His worship has changed, Exodus 34, 8. Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Our worship flows naturally out of our relationship with God. You worship based on who you think God is. I used to worship and it was all performance-based. I would go through all the motions of worship and I loved the Lord and I was telling him how much I loved him, but I wanted him to, I wanted him to love me more afterwards because I had worshiped him. Now, I don't, I don't have to worship for the Lord to love me. My worship for him is just telling him how much I love him and how much I appreciate him. It's completely different. His self-worth has changed. Exodus 34, 9. Then he said, if I have now found grace in your sight, O Lord, uh, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even as we're a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. Isn't it interesting that this stiff-necked people that God wants to kill, Moses is now saying, we're your inheritance. Your self-worth, it flows out of who you believe God is and what he thinks about you. Let me say this. Evolution teaches that we're animals in accidents. And how could anyone have self-worth believing that we have no intrinsic value in the universe? God's word teaches us that God made us in our mother's womb and he knit us together. And he has an eternal plan for our lives. And he loved us enough to send Jesus, his son, to die for us. That's how much God loves you. How you see God determines your self-worth. Like Karen. Karen, Karen went from being who she was when we got married and today she is a lioness for God and she knows God intimately. It changes everything. When you, when you know that God loves you, it changes everything. Last thing, his witness has changed. Exodus 34, it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked to him. People told me about witnessing when I became a Christian, and I didn't, I didn't want to witness because I guess I was a little bit ashamed of God sometimes. You know, I didn't know him very well, and I became a Christian. I didn't regret that I became a Christian, but I, I don't know. I, I guess I wanted to apologize a little bit for him. But the difference today, I'm so proud of God. I want everyone to know him the way I know him. Your witness naturally flows out of who you believe God is. If you love him, if you know him as he really is, the most natural thing in the world, your face will shine even if you don't know it's shining. Moses changed from seeing God through the eyes of the past, asking God for new eyes, having a direct revelation of who God was, everything changed in his life. And that's my prayer for you. And I know some of you here, you know God. I'm just, I'm just cheerleading for you. Some of you struggle the way I struggled. Some of you are stuck the way I was stuck and Karen was stuck. And my prayer is something I've said in this message will help you to get closer to God. Let me pray with you. Lord, we, we want new eyes. 
We don't want to see you through a filter, and, and many of us do, and I certainly did. We want new eyes. We want to see your glory. We want to see you for who you really are. We want to know you personally and intimately. We forgive our moms and dads. We bless them, Lord. Anything that they did wrong, we forgive them. We bless them. But we want to know you, Lord. And I pray during this week, Lord, as we're seeking you in a special way, that the most important thing that will come out of this week is a deeper, more intimate personal relationship that we all have with you. I pray, Lord, for our prayer lives to change, that we will ask you for more, and I pray that we will treat you like the perfect father because you are the perfect father. You offer us all of your grace, and Lord, today we pray for the fullness of your grace to be revealed in our lives. I just pray your blessing on this church this week that this will be a very, very powerful and special time. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Will you stand on your feet today? Thank you, Pastor Jimmy, for that incredible teaching. If you know me at all, you know I like to take a message like this and apply it, make it very practical for your life, and Pastor Jimmy's done that in so many ways. Well, what he just gave you today, seven things that you can, in your prayer time over the next three, four days, five days, six days, you can start your prayer time by thanking him for those attributes in your life. Can I just, I think this is so important that with your kids, even tonight's going to be a really great night. Uh, and I have to thank Lisa before we get started tonight, who's over our prayer ministry here. Uh, tonight is going to be an emphasis on family prayer. Uh, some of you have never prayed or spent a lot of time praying with your children. If you have children, I want you to bring them because we're going to spend some time in prayer. And if you don't have children, you obviously are still gonna, we're still going to be able to guide you and lead you on what to, what to do and how to pray. But I think tonight as we begin to pray, these are the seven things that we'll start with our family. Why? Because we always ask, God for things, but before we start asking him for things, let's start with acknowledging who he is. And for some of you, yes, yeah, Seek Week is going to be a transformative time in your life because today, I mean, this is why I'm so thankful for Pastor Jimmy because he takes the complicated and makes it simple and helps you understand that if you'll learn to see God like this, it'll change the way that you view him. And for some of you, the miraculous is waiting in your life, not simply because you pray, but because your perspective of who he is is going to change in your life. And I'm so thankful for that. Thank you, Pastor Jimmy, for guiding us and leading us through that today. I want to do a couple of things as we get ready to close. And first of all, what we're going to do here in just a moment is we're just going to pray together as a, as a faith family. And we're just going to thank God. We're going to go through these seven things in just a moment for very, do it very quickly, but we're just going to, we're going to turn this place into a brief moment of just prayer. Before I do that today, I, I want to celebrate a couple of things. And uh, that is yesterday we had our first Spanish service here at our church. And yeah, it was amazing. Nearly, nearly 100 people came and uh, experienced God in the service. And it was transformative, really. And uh, I have to tell you, I, I didn't understand a word. Um, 
at one time they were they were singing and they were saying, Senor. And I actually turned to one of the ladies who was interpreting for me. I said, I don't understand why we're saying Senor. I thought Senor was like something you said to another person. They said, well, in our language, it can be a word that you attribute to the Lord. So you're saying, Lord, I didn't know that. And so I hear, Senor, you know, I'm praising God, you know, and saying it. But I didn't understand a word. But as I was standing there, I felt the presence of the Lord so strong in that room as we were singing. And I was reminded in that moment that every tongue and every tribe and every nation is going to bow before God no matter who they are. Amazing. And so I want to thank you. And there are different ways that you can give that are on the screen. You, you helped us support that mission yesterday. And we're praying about what this looks like as we march forward. And of course, a lot of this was birthed out of our first Saturday outreaches and what we're doing there. So thank you for helping us uh, as we continue to march down the field for the ground that God's given us in the territory that he's taking. Today is Baptism Sunday at our church. I think this is an amazing thing that's happening on Seek Week. It's the third Sunday of every month. For some of you in this room today, you've never made a meaningful baptism decision in your life. I, I like to tell people that, that baptism is like the wedding ring of your faith. It doesn't make you saved, but it is a, a sign to everyone that I have decided to follow Jesus with all of my heart. And my, and my belief is that when you go down into that water and you come up, what it signifies is when you gave your life to Jesus in an incredibly personal moment, you're saying publicly now, I was buried in Christ and I have come out a new creation. That's what's happened in your life and that's why it's symbolic and we're celebrating that. And Jesus told us to be baptized. And so if you've never been baptized, today our baptism team's in the tunnel. They're waving at you right now. Go out to their table, which is in front of the baptismal, uh, I'm sorry, in front of the fountain uh, that we have out there. We've got all the clothes. We've got everything you need. And our church is going to celebrate you like crazy out in the lobby today. If you decide to be baptized, we'd love to make that experience happened with you. Father, we thank you today. We thank you that you're merciful, that we don't deserve your compassion, but you showed it to us anyway. Father, we thank you for your graciousness on our life. We thank you for the fact that we can obtain your mercy anytime we need it. Father, we thank you today that you're long-suffering, God. We thank you right now, Lord Jesus, that you promised that you'd never leave us and you'd never forsake us. Lord, we thank you that you're abounding in goodness that you're always good, your eyes are directed towards us. Lord, we thank you for your truth and that you're abounding in it today. That heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away, God. We thank you that you forgive us. Every single person in this room, it doesn't matter how far you've fallen, you serve a God that is forgiving. Just tell him right now, say thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Then, Lord, we thank you that you're just, that you'll have the final word. And everything in our lives that doesn't meet our expectations or when people uh, offend us or when they fault us, that you will have the final word and that you are just. And today, God, we thank you in advance that you're going to do a great work at Seek Week tonight and over the next three days. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody in the room say amen. Amen. Come on, team, let's sing them out today. We love you. We'd love to meet you in the lobby today. God bless you. You're dismissed. And we're going to worship the way we came in with singing. Come on, let's sing it out. Redeemed from the science.